Over the last two decades, I've been in an insatiable quest to learn everything I can about leadership. What makes the best leaders so good? After running companies small and large over the last 20 years, today, I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo. I'm your host, and I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this very topic and what makes the best leader so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I'm John Laredo, your host on this beautiful Saturday in February. I love it. we got good weather coming here. Oh, I love the weather. love springtime. Love it. Love it. Even though we're nowhere near springtime, it's beginning of February. But as long as it feels like spring, then I feel good. Um, so... I want to talk about and give you two examples, two situations that I came across recently that I thought were worth sharing. And they're really unique uh, business restrictions. And I talk about this a lot. You know, what's the biggest restriction in your business? As a leader, it's your job to figure that out. I talk about leverage a lot of the time. One of the best ways you can get leverage and leverage in the concept that one small step creates massive results. And sometimes it's we think about, okay, what's a new thing that we're going to do or something we're going to add that's going to create this big impact and leverage. It's going to be a great leverage point. But oftentimes it's the opposite. It's removing a small obstacle that's really a small thing that's creating a big backup in your process and your business flow and your revenue stream, everything. So I want to give you two great examples of this that I came across recently. Um, one just this week and then the other one actually a little bit ago. So uh, those of you who golf, and even if you don't know golf, you might know Top Golf, which has uh, become really popular at different spots in the country. If you haven't done it, it is fantastic. It's basically you're playing it, you're playing golf in a whole different way. You've got these these bays that are there's three or four levels of of bays so you're you're it's like basically you're teeing off you know maybe 50 feet above the ground or 30 feet above the ground in many cases and it's a game you can go and just it's like a driving range but you've got these targets out there you're having fun you can eat you can drink they've got servers there it's just it's a blast uh, so they came out in this area that I live in Raleigh with a competitor. They don't have Top Golf, but they have something called Golf Shack. I think it's called Golf Shack. I feel like I'm messing up the name, but um, in any event, somebody's going to correct me because it's—I don't think that's the name. But maybe it's better. I don't give the name. But in any event, when you go there, now in fairness, this was back. I haven't been there this season, so we're in February. So this was the end of last year in September. October timeframe. But one of the craziest things, now everybody flocked to the place because it was like, whoa, this new place is open. We've heard about Top Golf. Awesome. Um, Drive Shack. That's what it's called. Drive Shack. Uh, so we, um, the, um, I know everybody was like, John, come on. They're texting me as they are hearing this. And little did they know, I, it's not live. I recorded it already. So anyway, I'm going to get all these future texts uh, when people are listening to this. Um, so anyways, uh, you go to this place. They've got, I think I counted it, something like 300 and something different bays. So now each bay can hold, I think it's eight people. So I mean, you literally have the potential to get 
a couple thousand, maybe 2,500 people in there at one time paying money. I mean, that's a major revenue. Now, this thing is huge. I'm sure it comes with a massive price tag to to build this thing. I mean, it's just, you know, the upkeep of it, everything like that. But here's the the wacky thing is when you go there. Now, they had opened a year or so ago, a year and a half ago. Every time I've been there, and I'm not exaggerating at all, and people in Raleigh area, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll agree. There is a four-hour wait, not 40-minute, not an hour, four-hour wait uh, to go and and play golf and and do it. And and the worst part about it is you cannot make a reservation. You cannot call ahead and and put your name on a line or something like that. You literally have to go there, and they tell you, okay, great, we got your name on a list. Uh, we'll call you in roughly four hours. And when I've done it, it truly is four hours. It's not like four hours and it suddenly turns into an hour. It is four hours. So needless to say, I haven't been there too many times. Um, Crazy, wacky system, right? What? But now they've still been mobbed with business. Somehow this still works. But here's the thing that's really weird. When you go there, part of the reason for this is they're never using all 300 and something bays. They're only using something like I've seen, and may, I might be exaggerating on this song, but I'm just saying they're using a portion of them. I think one day I counted it was like 50 or 70 bays that they were using and they were not using the other ones. So, so like 70% of the place was, was not being utilized. Now you've seen this when you've gone to a restaurant and you've seen like, okay, there's a wait, but then you look and you see all these empty tables. And you're like, well, why can't you just put me at that table? Well, what's the biggest restriction? The biggest restriction is not the fact they don't have an empty table, not the fact that they don't have food, not the fact that they don't have people cooking the food. It's And certainly not because they don't have customers wanting to purchase it. It's because they don't have a server. So they can't fill that section. That's the biggest restriction. In this case with Drive Shack, it's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. They had no servers. They had no people that could to wait on those bays. So because of that, they're paying for it, the upkeep of all this stuff, all this overhead, yet they're only generating revenue on 30% or 40%, and they're pissing people off too, telling them they got a four-hour wait? What? Topgolf doesn't do that. Why would you do that? Why? Now, I think they've come up with a reservation system, which is better, so to their credit, they've evolved past that you know ridiculously dumb decision. But it's still limiting, and I think this is still the case, that they're still not using the whole thing. Now, I get it. It's tough to find help. So I'm not, and especially this time, I'm not arguing this. This is a very real problem. Maybe it's not solvable, but I'm pretty certain it is. I'm pretty certain they could come up with something, some way that they can change and utilize the rest of that. And maybe it's even, I don't know, some degree of, self-service or, hey, if you want food and drinks, you can only do certain bays if you don't want. Because there's a lot of people that golf, they don't want food and drinks. That's okay. They just really want to golf. There are some people like that. So why not give them an option? Hey, do I do you want a server or no? Um, or, hey, you know what? We're really short staffed, so we're going to give you a server, but it's going to be really slow. We're going to tell you right away. I mean, that even would be better. So maybe instead of each server we're using, working with six bays at a time, maybe they work with 12. But they tell the people ahead of time, hey, here's the deal. We're really stretched. 
Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, you know, brainstorming here, but there's got to be a solution to that other than just sucking it up and losing all kinds of money on that. And, you know, affecting your brand because you're telling people four hours. I mean, people might do that once, maybe twice. You figure out something else to do, but they won't keep coming back. That's a problem that's got to be solved. So that in itself is the biggest restriction. It doesn't matter how much they improve the facilities or come up with new games that you can play, which they do. Uh, doesn't matter if they drop their prices. It doesn't matter if they um, come up with new parking spots. It doesn't matter if they advertise better. It doesn't matter if they change the lobby when you walk in. It doesn't matter if they give you free golf balls when you come in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The only thing that mattered, and it doesn't matter because they still have that problem with not being able to get enough people using the facility. I mean, they got more demand than they have supply. That's a problem that needs to get fixed and it's fixable. So I'm open to your ideas. Listen, honestly, I, this is just my opinion, my thoughts. Um, I'm interested if for people who may know more about that um, or people from Drive Shack, we'll say it's a great business. It really is. I'm not here to, I, I truly think it's a great place with one big restriction. That needs to be uh, fixed. And again, if you've already fixed it, I'd love to know about it, uh, and and that'd be great. Um, so, that's story number two. Uh, number one. Let's go on to story number two. Story number two is I was working with a business, uh, a company that's based in India, and they've come out with a lot of different apps and whatnot. And great, great organization, great company. And one of their newest um, apps was an app that was. Um, kind of a, a, a really cool receipt reader, basically, is what you put a receipt and it would read everything about it. You wouldn't have to go through the um, the uh, cumbersome task of having to plug, you know, type in things about the receipt. Anyway, it was pretty, took a more manual process and made it uh, more, um, more automatic, which was really cool. And I was going through it and kind of looking at a demo and stuff like that, and they were walking me through it. And I'm going to change a little bit about this, about the numbers, but it, we kind of get the gist of this. So there was a subscription fee to this. We were talking about, okay, how does somebody do this? So if a company is is going to use this and it's a subscription, which normally things like this are a subscription per person. Um, and so if you do something like, you know, LinkedIn or you do uh, these different programs like uh, Constant Contact, all this kind of stuff, it's a per user subscription fee that you're and they're usually pretty nominal. They're not crazy. And that was really the direction that this conversation was heading is that there's a subscription fee that was pretty nominal. Let's say it's 50 bucks a month, whatever it is. It was actually cheaper than that. But um, for the purposes of this, and I said, okay, well, how about with, so does that per user fee go down? Obviously, as you've got, if you've got an organization that has a thousand people in it, are you equipped to do that? First of all, and the answer is yes. Uh, and what's the fee for that? And their response was, it's the same. I said, what do you mean it's the same? I said, they said it's that one user's price. So I said, wait a sec, meaning it's no different if one person subscribes, a subscription is per company. And if it's one person using it or a thousand people using it, it's still the same fee? And their answer was yes. Now, if I was the CEO of a company that has a thousand employees and I loved everything I heard about this, everything I heard about this, and it really solved the big problem that I had, streamlined our business, 
and I heard the fee was $50 a month for my enterprise, my organization with a thousand employees and a thousand users and all that stuff. That's pretty much where the conversation would end, right? And the reason is I would naturally be thinking, okay, there's no way the economics of that work. Um, there's no way you're going to be able that this is really truly going to be set up to to really work in an organization that's bi- that big with that many users and that many potential problems and that much servicing. It just, I, there's no way. It's way too underpriced, way too underpriced. So I think about sometimes, I haven't seen that before really, but the biggest restriction in that was not the product. It was not the service. People were great. The company was great. The product itself was great. The price was just way too low, way, way, way too low. Sometimes people think the biggest restriction is the fact that something's too expensive. And yes, sometimes that's the case. You can overprice overprice yourself or outprice yourself, price yourself out of the market. But in this case, it was too low. Way, way too low. It just, I still, I kind of scratched my head. I'm like, I don't get it. Um, and in any event, um, that's that's follow up conversations. But that was just a great example of where, again, you've got to think about as a leader of your organization, what are the potential issues? What in a situation like that, when it comes to pricing, and that's a tough one. It's really tough because you've got competition. You've got you know, costs that you're trying to, uh, you're, you're, you're keeping in mind fixed costs, variable costs. You've got different, you know, uh, periods of time which affect pricing, all kinds of stuff. You've got, you know, uh, global issues, everything. But in a situation like that, a big part of it is the buyer is making a decision. There's perceived value with your pricing. If I go in and I see, um, you know, a shirt that I've liked and it's a hundred bucks. And then suddenly I see it's on sale, see the same shirt and it's $15. My immediate thought is, okay, what's wrong with it? Or it's not the same shirt. It's a knockoff. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming it's not as good. If I hire uh, somebody to help me with something and their price is 10% of everybody else's, I'm naturally thinking, okay, well, what am I not getting? I'm not getting something. Um, there is value perceived with price. So in that case, there's just no there's no way that works out. Way, way underpriced. And if that's a market they're trying to get into, if it's truly a one or two person organization, that's their target. Okay, I get it. Makes sense. But if their target is to move up market or be up market in larger organizations and, and bring this great solution, which it really was, to the masses and, and larger companies, it just, that's the biggest restriction. So, um in any event, thought I'd bring that to you as an example. I think anytime you can put a concept uh, to a specific example, then it helps, helps you understand. So my challenge to you as a leader, and I don't care if you're coaching a soccer team or you're CEO of a multi-billion dollar organization or the head of distribution or a senior VP uh, of your organization, what is the biggest restriction? What's the one thing that is either an obstacle that's causing this something not to happen as quickly, or it's something that is one thing that's creating the wrong perception, or it's one thing, extra step in a process that doesn't need to be there, that's slowing everything down. It's all different ways something can be a restriction. What's the one biggest restriction to your organization? You figure that out, you're really close to tapping into huge, huge levels of growth, huge levels of growth. Hey, I'm coaching a soccer team. What's the one thing 
that is holding us back from winning more games? What's the one thing, if we're going to pinpoint it, why are we not performing better during game time? What is it? Is it that we're running out of steam and we don't have the endurance? Is it that the players don't know the plays? Is it that we're everybody's trying to be on offense? Is it you know are we not sticking to our positions? I don't know. What, what's the one biggest restriction? Figure that out again, and you're on the cusp of opening up massive levels of growth for you and your organization. So, great stuff comes from that. If I can help, let me know. Reach out to me. All right. Uh, in any event, thank you for uh, listening. As always, I appreciate your likes, your subscribes, your shares, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, give me your ideas for future guests and content, issues and problems that you're having, unique situations, whatever it may be. There's no such thing as a dumb problem. I've had so many people come to me and say, hey, I got something that's kind of a silly thing and I'm almost embarrassed to ask this. And some of them have been great questions. No, there's no, believe me, I was there. I was I was the one asking the dumb questions and I still do. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't know something, ask somebody. And that's what we're all here for. We're just trying to learn. We're trying to get better as leaders. And when you as a leader get better, you help other people make become better. Okay, keep that in mind. All right, uh, thanks for listening. As always, go down below, get five-star review, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.